0: Welcome to the podcast of Church on the Rock in New Albany, Indiana. We believe the message you're about to hear will encourage you today. 16. We're going to continue the series we started last week talking about the real Jesus. Will the real Jesus please stand up? the real Jesus. So Matthew 16, we're going to get into this. Verse 13 said, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, good baby name right there. Anybody who's looking, Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, not funny guys. Okay. All right. It's going to be that way this morning. Okay. I got you. Who do people say that the son of man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. Then he asked them, this is Jesus speaking, but who do you say I am? Verse 16, Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Verse 18, now I say that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church. Come on, I need some more Pentecostals here with me. I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. So today I want to continue this series about the real Jesus. I want to talk today about Jesus is. Jesus is. So last week we started this series about the real Jesus, and we started with this important question and we ended with this more important question, which is, who do you say he is? That is the most important question ever asked. Who do you say Jesus is? It determines every, everything for you, for your life here, but also your eternal life on who you say he is. And that's the most important answer we will ever have to give on who do you say that Jesus is. Last week, we shared a lot of things. I I can't go back and share it all. Listen to the podcast. We talked about that Jesus is the most important and well-known person in human history. He changed the world. He changed the way we do time. He's the most loved man. He's the most hated man. More artwork and music and, and books have been written about him. And everyone has an opinion about who Jesus is. Everybody. Believer and unbeliever, politician, king, athlete, model, whoever you talk to, everyone has an opinion about who Jesus is. But who did Jesus say he was? More importantly than that, we studied also about what the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled meant for his life. The experience of worldwide what Jesus has done for people. And we realized two major things that Jesus is God. He's not just another human. He's not just a religious leader. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just a person and a historical figure, he is God and he also is a man. Jesus is God and he is a man. So at the beginning of this, I want to read a statement to you out of a doctrine book. I want you all to be educated Christian folk at church. And not just refrigerator scripture people, Christian bookstore people little devotional people, no, like really people that think with their brain and think with their heart and believe things, but know what they believe and why they believe it. Like that's what I'm into as a pastor and a leader, not just giving you superficial baby answers that anyone can argue their way out of, or a professor can talk you out of, or a blog you read from the New York Times can change your mind about Jesus because you don't know what you believe in the first place because no one has ever talked to you about this and they've given you superficial churchy answers and they don't help in real life. Did I say too much there? So you need to know doctrine. That's a church word. That's a Bible word. But doctrine, all it means is teaching. The word doctrine in the Bible means teaching. How many know the Bible says you need to have sound doctrine? Sound doctrine means sound teaching, or whole teaching, or truthful teaching, or right teaching, if it's sound. So this is the doctrine of Jesus. It says here in the Foundations of Christian Doctrine book that I have, that I uh, would encourage. It says that Scripture reveals that the Lord Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God. Who always existed with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Who by His incarnation, which that means Him coming in flesh, took upon Himself the form of a man and became the God-man. In one person of Christ, there are two natures, human and divine. Each in its own completeness and integrity. They are distinguishable but indivisible with liberty and justice for all. No, I added that part. So that he is fully man and fully God. It is the sinless union of the divine and human nature which qualifies him to be the only sacrificial mediator between God and man. I'm not done. I got a little bit more here. Wasn't that good so far? Don't you feel smarter already? And notice it says this, Jesus Christ, now this is what you should believe about Jesus, was sinless, perfect, crucified, buried, resurrected, ascended, glorified, and he will come again a second time in glory in judgment. The orthodox position or the right position believing position concerning jesus is that he is truly god and truly man and he because of his union in him two natures is the perfect mediator between god and man so that's what we believe about jesus that he is god and he is man and he is the perfect mediator between god and man so jesus is god and jesus is a man I'm going to go a little bit further with that idea this morning. Let's turn over to John 1. John 1. In verse 1. Now we're still kind of carrying over some of the things I talked about last week into this week. And then we're going to share some new things. So Jesus is God and Jesus is man. John 1 and verse 1. It says, in the beginning, the word already existed, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. Verse 14, or verse 4. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought life to everyone. Let's jump to verse 14. So the word became human and made his home among us. And he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the father's one and only son. So this is all referring to Jesus in the book of John here. Now, I want, I want to talk to you about something pertaining to Jesus being God and Jesus being man. And I think it will really encourage you this morning. We read this verse last week, but I wanted to read it again this week because it's so powerful. It says, the Word was in the beginning with God, and the Word was God. And through the Word, everything was created that we see and that we don't see. And that Word became flesh. That Word became human and dwelt among us, In His name was Jesus. Now, something about the Gospels you need to understand is the Gospel writers were all different people who had different personalities and wrote to different people groups. But we see that John, who wrote this book, was the disciple whom Jesus loved, was Jesus' BFF. That's who John was. And John wrote this Gospel for a specific group of people. And if you know anything about the book of John, John wrote the Gospel of John to reveal that Jesus is the Son of God to the world. See, different books like Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're writing to different groups of people. Like Matthew's more relating to the Jewish people, and it's uh, that he's the Son of God sent to the Jewish people. And then there's Mark and Luke that are written more to a Roman type of personality. But... John reveals that Jesus is not just for the Jewish people, religious, or the unreligious people, the Romans. He is God of the world. And Jesus was sent into the world to save the world, not just a group of people. Jesus was sent into the world to to not just save religious people, but to save every people because everybody needs it. Religious and non-religious, we both need God. (laughs) Because our religiousness doesn't make us right. At all. Actually, it just makes us prideful. It doesn't make us right with God. (laughs) A lot of times, religious people are harder to save than sinners. Because they just don't understand. They're sinners. (laughs) And they are. But John is written to reveal that Jesus is the Son of God to the world. Now, there's a reason I'm saying that. Because let's put up the first verse again. John 1 and verse 1. So John is written to reveal that Jesus is the Son of God to the world. So he's writing to people that are probably not religious to convince them that Jesus is God. In the beginning, the Word already existed, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Let's stop here. Now, we've only been told half of the story of what this word, Word, means. Now, in your Bible, we've heard this our whole lives, which is true. In John chapter 1, every time it says the word, it's the word logos, which a lot of times is used for the written word, which is powerful in and of itself because the written word, yes, I cracked, there'll be a lot of that today. My voice is going to go there, became the living word. The spoken word of God became flesh and dwelt among us because every word of God has power in and of itself. Now that's awesome because the word was in the beginning with God and the word was God and everything was created through the word of God and it sustains everything and that word became flesh but it keeps using that word, word. But the original word in the original language is not word. It's logos. Right. But if you were John in that time, in that day, the word logos means much more than just the written word of God. It's actually a term used by a lot of the philosophers and thinkers of that day. The word logos. And so he's talking directly to people that are non-churchy people. Non-believing people. Secular people. And this is what the term logos meant in the day and age it was written. It wasn't just meaning the written word. That's part of it. This is what it says. Greek philosophers adopted the term logos to describe the apparent logic that caused the universe to obey natural laws, such as gravity, mathematics, and morality. To them, the universe would fall into utter chaos were it not for this impersonal divine mind, which they named the Word. According to this theory, all the laws of physics, mathematics, reason, and even morality can be traced back to this one ordering principle, which they called Logos. John's gospel claims that the divine mind is... Indeed, a person. And it's personal that he became flesh and is the person of Jesus. So, John is talking to a secular group group of people, which we live in a secular day and age, who don't know religion. They don't know the scriptures. And he's using language that they understand. And he's saying... You guys think that this thing called Logos, it created everything. It created everything we see and what we don't see. It's the force that goes throughout the universe that has created everything we see. But it's not a person, and you can't know it. It's just a feeling or an energy or a vibe It's the Logos, the thing that created everything that we see. The Logos created all matter and all life. The Logos created the laws of physics and mathematics. The the Logos created even the moral laws that we follow today. Who gave those things to us. And the Apostle John is using that word Logos on purpose to talk to a secular group of people and to say, you were right about Logos. But it's not some force that you can't know. And yeah, there was something that created everything. Scientists today still believe that. There's something that created everything. They don't know what it is. There's something that put the laws of physics and mathematics into motion that are still working today. Even scientists believe that. Now, they don't believe it's God all the time, but they believe something or someone did that. The morality we follow that is instinctively in us, our conscience. Who put it there? An explosion didn't put it there. A big bang did not make you moral. And so he's talking to secular people and he's saying, you're right guys, this logos, this word that you're talking about, that you believe that created everything, that we see and we can't see, that created matter and life and the laws of physics and the laws of mathematics and the laws of morality and that created everything. He's not just a force. He's a person, and his name is Jesus. And so when when they read this scripture, it hit ten times harder than it's hitting you on a Sunday morning here. And it's still true today to the people that don't know God and maybe some of your friends and relatives and co-workers you're talking to. They're right. Yeah, something did create all that. And it wasn't an accident. And someone did put laws in motion. And it wasn't an accident. And something is still giving life to this universe and to all of us. And it wasn't an accident. And it's not something that we can't know. It's not some impersonal force. It's not some thing like that. It is a person, and it is God, and it is in the person of Jesus. I'm trying to help you this morning if you're listening. Because you need to know what you believe, but why you believe it. And John 1, 1 through 4 and into verse 14 uses that same word on purpose because he's saying this word became flesh and dwelt among us. No, he's not some just energy and feeling in the universe. No, he's a real person and he became flesh and he is God and he is Jesus. This word that's created everything and sustaining everything and that was in the beginning with God and was God is not some divine impersonal force. It is a real person named Jesus. And it was true 2,000 years ago, and it's still true today. To your secular friends or your scientist friends or to whoever thinks they are more educated beyond their intelligence, to think that God is real or God is right, they are right in the fact that there is something that started everything and is sustaining everything and that put the laws of everything we know into motion. But it's not something we can't know. It's someone we can know. (laughs) And the word became flesh. There's a real God and he created everything we see. He put all the laws of everything we know into motion that still is sustaining this universe Everything that has been put here, the laws even in our heart of conscience and morality were put there by someone and it is God. And that God and that being is not just off in heaven somewhere and you just can't know him. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and Jesus is God. That logos that the philosophers of that day couldn't think they could understand was a person. The word became flesh. You guys getting something so far today? Let's look over at Luke 24 in verse 44. Luke 24, 44. So we're still talking about who Jesus is. Last week, we talked about that Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies of the Old Testament, which is impossible to do. Like, maybe one person could get one of those. Maybe. But he fulfilled hundreds and hundreds of them perfectly. Written. Hundreds of years apart. I mean, you know, if the people writing the Bible were making up the story, it would be easy to fulfill the prophecies. You could all write it at the same time. But some of the prophecies Jesus fulfilled were written 700 years before he was born. 1,000 years before he was born. 1,500 years before he was born. But Jesus fulfilled them all. We see in the Old Testament is God concealed, but the New Testament is God revealed. In the Old Testament was the promise, and the New Testament is the fulfillment. In the Old Testament, they only saw God barely, kind of. And actually, in the New Testament, in Corinthians, it says, in the Old Testament, it was like they had a veil over their eyes. They couldn't really see who God really was yet. But in the New Covenant, we see God in all his fullness. In the person of Jesus. And in Corinthians it says the veil is taken away when we believe in Jesus. And we can see God for who He really is. You don't have to just barely see Him or you see bits and portions of who He is. You get the full picture now in Jesus. You get the full picture painting in Jesus. You get the full image in Jesus. That's not just a bit of God here and a bit of God there and I kind of understand it but it's kind of foggy and hazy and I don't really get it. No. Jesus is the fullness of God. He's the full picture. If you've seen Him you've seen God. And in the new covenant we can see God clearly now. In the person of Jesus. And I wanted to read this verse. Because it's all about this idea. Of Jesus fulfilling. These prophecies. So Luke 24. 44. Notice what Jesus said. Then he said to them. These are the words which I speak to you. While I was still with you. That all things must be. Fulfilled. The Old Testament. Is God's will. and his promise. But the New Testament is God's will. Fulfilled, which were written, notice, in the law of Moses and the prophets in the Psalms concerning me. Verse 45. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. So Jesus said, all the Old Testament is about Me. You're not getting it yet, but you're thinking, you're going to get it. All the Old Testament is about me. It's all pointing to me. Now, stay with me here. He said, in the law of Moses, in the prophets, in the Psalms. Now, those are the three major divisions of the Old Testament, the law, the prophet, and the Psalms. So he was saying, all of the Old Testament is pointing to me and is about me, and I'm to fulfill the Old Testament. And if you read your Old Testament in light of that idea that the Bible is about Jesus, you will get so much more out of it than you did before. Because Jesus said the law, the prophets and the Psalms is about me. And I came to fulfill this. And then he said he opened the scriptures to their understanding like I'm trying to open the scriptures to your understanding today. And you'll get much more out of the Bible if you realize the Bible is not a self-help manual. It's about Jesus. I'll take you a step further in our super independent, prideful American culture. The Bible, you ready for this? Your sensitivity is rising as we speak. The Bible is for you But it's not about you. We read the Bible as we're the hero in every story. You're not David, you're Goliath in the story, guys. You're not Jonah, you're the whale. But we in Americans read the Bible like we're the hero in every story. We're not. We read the Bible as in that the Bible's all about us. It's not. The Bible is for us. Hear me here. But it's not just about you. The point of the Bible is about God. The point of the the Bible is Jesus and pointing to us who Jesus is. And the Bible is His story, not ours but we get to play a part in his story. That's the good news. The fact that God even cares enough that we get to be a part of this is the most amazing thing ever. That God's story, he wants us to be a part of it. And so we need to realize when you read your Old Testament, it's about Jesus. The Bible's written for you, but it's not about you the whole time. I'm telling you, your Bible will come alive in a new way if you read it that way. Because Jesus is the hero of the story. And by putting our faith in Jesus, we get to be a part of his victory. And a part of his story. And in his family. But you realize that Abraham's story is not just about Abraham. There's so many things going deeper and deeper and deeper below the surface. Abraham's not just about Abraham. Abraham's pointing to a greater Abraham, Jesus. Moses' story is not just about Moses. Moses' story is pointing to a greater Moses, Jesus. David is not just about David. It's about a greater David, Jesus. And the whole Bible is pointing to Jesus. And yes, all the rest of those people were real people who lived real lives, but their story only matters in context of Jesus' story. Same way with us. Our story only matters in light of Jesus' story. But thank God we get to be a part of it. What a privilege, what an honor. But Jesus said, the law, the prophets and the Psalms spoke about me. That's what he said. And he came to fulfill it. You guys still here this morning? I can tell you're starting to get it with me, and I appreciate that. So the Bible will come alive when you realize that it's about Jesus. It's for you, but it's not all about you. We need to realize that Jesus reveals himself in the Old Testament and the New Testament in three different ways. And that's kind of the focus of the rest of this message is going to be. There was three types of people in the Old Testament that God anointed to do work for him. The prophet, the priest, and the king. Those were the anointed, called out, Chosen people for God's work in the Old Testament. The prophet, the priest, and the king. And I want to talk about that the rest of this time for a reason because Jesus reveals who he is and what he does for us and through us through these three things. You say, well, pastor, I don't live 2,000 years ago in the Old Testament. That's okay. Okay the prophet, priest, and king are still relevant for today. We still know those terms and use those terms today. And Jesus reveals himself as prophet, priest, and king. So let's start with the first one. Jesus is our prophet. Jesus is our prophet. Now, we need to... Study Jesus for who he really is in all of his fullness. Most Christians overemphasize one part of Jesus and ignore the other side of Jesus. That's why I want to share about all three. Jesus is prophet, priest, and king. Because when you see all three of those, you see Jesus for who he fully is. So let's talk about the prophet first. Jesus is prophet. Jesus is a prophet because Jesus, hear me here, confronts us and calls us to repentance of sin. That's what a prophet does. Jesus confronts us and calls us to repentance of sin. If you know anything about prophets in the Bible, they were confrontational. They were a little up in your face. They spoke for God. And Jesus is greater than any Old Testament prophet or even New Testament prophet. Jesus is the greatest prophet. And Jesus is our prophet practically because when Jesus comes into our life, he confronts us and calls us to repentance of sin. There's portions of the body of Christ that never talk about this side of Jesus. They overemphasize one side or the other. And a lot of them will say, well, Jesus just talked about love and forgiveness and be nice and give to the poor. Yes, he did. But that's not all he talked about. (laughs) You're getting to the next point. That's Jesus as priest, but he's a prophet too. And Jesus practically, now this isn't just for people who lived a long time ago. Jesus today, even though he's in heaven, is a prophet for us right now. And he confronts us and calls us to repentance of sin. Now I'm going to go a little bit further. you got you got to stay with me here. Jesus was bold in His preaching. Jesus was confrontational. The same Jesus who forgave sins and gave to the poor and sat with sinners and and played with kids and blessed them was the same Jesus who went into the church and threw tables over And chased out people with a whip. It's never talked about. And he did it without sin. So apparently he wasn't wrong when he did it. Well, I got a lot of leeway here then. Let's start flipping some stuff up. He did it without sin. But we overemphasize one side of Jesus, but don't see Jesus for who he fully is. Now, now here, I I know we got such sensitive ears in 2021. Stay with me here. We have become so woke as Christians in America. We can't take any confrontation or boldness or anyone to say that we're wrong about anything. Because that's not Christ-like to tell somebody they're wrong or repent of anything then you're not being like Jesus. Stay with me. Jesus preached more about repentance than he did about forgiveness. Jesus preached more about repentance than give to the poor. Jesus Jesus preached more about repentance than any other thing he preached about. Now stay here because, see, the reason you don't like that is because you have a wrong idea of repentance. You think repentance is mean. Somebody tells you to repent, that's mean, isn't it? Doesn't have to be. Repentance is judgmental. No, repentance in the Bible means to change the way you think. To change your actions. To change your thinking. To change the direction you're going. Because where you're going is going to end in destruction. So repentance is not judgment, mean, or hateful. Repentance is love. Are you hearing what I'm saying today? We got a wrong idea of repentance, that repentance always means you hate somebody, or it's judgmental, or you're hurting my feelings. No, repentance truly, in the Bible sense, is love. It's not mean, it's not judgmental to tell somebody the truth in love because you don't want them to be hurt. Because you don't want them to be destroyed. That's not mean. That's love. And Jesus called us to repentance because he loves us. And he calls us to change because he loves us. And he tells us to repent of our sins because he loves us. Because if we keep going down that place, we're going to end in Destruction. It's real simple. Why do you correct your kids? Because you hate them? No, because you love them. That's the same way that Jesus does for us. He calls us to repentance as a prophet because he loves us. Matthew 4 and 17 in the New Living, let's read this. This is one of the first things Jesus ever said. From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent of your sins and turn to God For the kingdom of heaven is near. So we gotta see repentance in the right way. Jesus is our prophet because he calls us and confronts us to repent of our sins. And good friends should do that as well. And a good pastor should do that as well. And it's not out of anger, and it's not out of hatred. And it's not out of judgment. It's out of love. I read this recently and I loved it. This pastor said this, repentance is not punishment, it's opportunity. God gives you another chance. So he calls you to repent. If he stopped telling you to repent, you should be scared. That means you, you ain't got no more chances now. If you still got some conviction, come on now somebody, on the inside of you that you know stuff is wrong, that's good. You're not lost. You're not hopeless. That means God actually still cares about your life and you're worth saving if you ever feel uncomfortable at church or in your personal life. God calls something out and you're like, ouch, but it means he cares about me because if he wasn't talking you would be in trouble. Trying to help you this morning. It's not punishment. It's opportunity. It says in your Bible, it's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. He does it out of His goodness. In the book of Acts, it says that when we repent, that times of refreshing comes from the presence of the Lord. Real simple, if there's a bridge out and your friend is driving as fast as humanly possible towards that bridge, and you know the bridge is out, is you jumping in front of that vehicle And yelling and screaming for them to stop. Is that love? Or is the guy over here being tolerant? Are you good? You're good. Is this love? No, you're good, man. You're good, man. I just don't want to get sued, so I'm not going to say anything about your lifestyle. You're good. It's all good, man. It's all good. I just don't want people to be offended. No, it's good, man. Is this love? Because our culture says this is love. You're good, man. Everything's good. It's not good. You don't need to be meanful, mean about it. You don't need to be hateful about it. But you got to speak the truth in love because love says, I'm going to get in between you and destruction because I love you. If I got to jump in front of the car, if I got to yell and scream, if I got to push you out of the way, I will do it because I love you. This is not love. You're good, man. Live your life, live your truth, bro. If it's not hurting anybody else, live it, man. That's not the Bible. Tolerance is not in the Bible. It's not. Am I stepping on some toes? I should be. Because you need to hear the truth in love. No, Jesus is a real prophet. And because he is, he calls us and confronts us that we should repent of our sins. And we need to speak the truth in love. Can't you do both? Yes. Can you love people, be compassionate towards people, be understanding of people, and still speak the truth in love? Yes. The reason that Christians have not been able to do that is they have no love, they have no understanding, they have no compassion. They just want to be the judge. Now that's wrong too. But it's not either or, it's both and. Love, compassion, understanding... But not agreeing with what's wrong. Not denying the truth. Not applauding people and saying, go for it, go for it, guys. Live your truth, man. And everyone's going to destruction and death, and we're okay with it. We shouldn't be okay with it. That says you don't care. Love says something, love does something. And in the Bible, repentance is love. I got two more points. How am I going to do this? <laughs> Are you getting this today? You need this in a culture that is so... <sighs> Not thinking straight. You've got to have a pastor like this that's telling you the truth. Your mind gets mushy out there, people you got to come in here and get your mind renewed from all that filth. You start believing it's true and it's a lie. Now, Jesus is a prophet. Now, this is not just repentance of sin when we get saved. This is ongoing. This week, several times, I'm not telling you what it is. Several times, Jesus said, you're wrong about this. You're not thinking right about this. You need to change this. Practically. And if you're really following Jesus, he should be doing the same thing to you. And when he does, it's not because he hates you. It's not because he's mean. It's not because he's judging you. It's because he loves you. And he knows that thing in your life that he's talking about is going to hurt you if you don't stop. So when when I got called out at least three or four times this week by Jesus as my prophet, I said, yes, you're right, because I know you love me, and I'm going to change that. And I'm going to try to think differently about that. That's how you receive Jesus as your prophet. Did you guys get something on that point? The second thing is Jesus is our priest. Jesus is our priest. Now, the only way we know priest, modern day, the only times you know priest is somebody with a white collar who works at a church. But priests throughout the Bible played such a significant role. They were the person who stood between God and man. Sometimes the Bible uses The word mediator. They were the mediator between God and man. They were the intercessor between God and man. They were the person that that brought God and man together. The priest. And the priest was someone who reconciled God and man. Key Key word right there. He made peace between God and man by giving sacrifices. That's what the priest did. The priest stood in between God and man and brought these two parties together by giving sacrifices and standing between both. But Jesus is our priest. Not just back then, but even today. Jesus is our priest. Jesus is our priest because he comforts us And comes to save us from our sins and give us a new life. Let's read some verses. Hebrews 2 and verse 17. Therefore it was necessary for him to be made in every respect like us. He's talking about Jesus. His brothers and sisters so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away The sins of the people. Notice that Jesus is our merciful and faithful high priest. Let's look over at Hebrews 4 in the message. It says, now that we know that we have Jesus, this great high priest, with ready access to God, let's not let it slip through our fingers. We don't have a high priest who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing, experienced it all, but without sin. Let's walk right up to him and get what he's so ready to give. Take the mercy and accept the help. So we have a high priest in Jesus, and Jesus is our priest because he comforts us and comes to save us from sin and give us a new life. But our high priest in Jesus is merciful and faithful. He understands us because he became one of us. (laughs) That's why he can have compassion on your weakness and your temptation and your sins and your struggles and your depression and everything you're going through because he experienced everything we experienced but without sin. So he is a compassionate and merciful high priest that when he comes in to save us, he doesn't do it with, you guys should just be happy I'm saving you. He does it with love and compassion and mercy because he knows what we have been through because he went through it himself. And he is a merciful and faithful high priest that we can come to him in boldness and get help when we need it. But he is our priest because he is the God-man who brought God and man together in his person but brought us and God together and made peace with God through his sacrifice. Made reconciliation between us and God through his sacrifice. And Jesus is our priest and our mediator. The Bible says that when we mess up and sin, If we go to Him, He is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. Yeah, it happened one time at the altar, but it happens ongoingly for all of us. He is still our priest. He is still our mediator. He's still our intercessor. The book of Hebrews says He's in heaven right now praying for us, interceding for us on our behalf because He's our priest. And He's... Our mediator who brings God and man together. Lastly, Jesus is our king. Jesus is our king. And I'm going to close. Did you guys get something today? Jesus is our king because he commands us to relinquish our authority of our life. So every facet of us can be under His authority. This is also an underemphasized part of Jesus. Everyone loves ooh, loves Jesus as priest. Love it, love it so much. They live there, right? We all do. Prophet. Ugh, whew. Priests love it. But he's also our king. Now we live in a democracy, so we think that we're in charge. We think that we have the right to make our own decisions. Because I'm my own person. And I'm a self-made man. In a self-made woman. And I'm an American. So I got rights and privileges and freedom. And we can vote people in and vote people out. You can't vote out a king. A king, especially in the Old Testament, even into the New Testament, had absolute authority, absolute control absolute power where the word of a king is there's authority and no one can question the king or they're dead that's the part we need to be thankful he's a priest too because all of us would have got taken out years ago if jesus was just a king but you got to understand that yes jesus is your savior priest But Jesus is your Lord, King. We all love the Savior part, right? We love it. Love it. Love it. Most churches just preach that. Don't want to confront anybody. But Jesus came to be Savior and Lord, both priest and King. Lord means that Jesus is in charge of your life. <laughs> Stay with me. And he's not just another king. He's the king of kings. And he's not just the lord. He's a lord of lords. But what I've found in my own life and just knowing people, doing church all these years, is a lot of people accept Jesus as prophet. They repent. They feel sorry. They try to do better about their sins. They love him as priest. They love the forgiveness. They love the saving part. But a lot of believers, life never changes from the time that they get saved to the time they go to be with the Lord because they never accept him as king and lord of their life. They receive him as savior, but they still make their own decisions. They accept Him as Savior, but they still make their own plans and dream their own dreams and have their own life. And this is my spiritual life, and this is my personal life. My spiritual life is Sunday mornings from 10 to 12. Oh, my gosh, you gave God two hours out of your week. Is He really in charge then? Come on, let's get real about it. Two hours out of your whole week. And he's really in charge? That's my spiritual life. Life groups, two more hours every other week. It's my spiritual life, but my personal life is my life. No, it's not. The arrogance. Arrogance of all of us in here as human beings to think that we know what's best for our own life. You will trust God with your eternity, but you won't listen to him right now in this life? How does that make sense? It doesn't. Jesus is king. Yes, he's prophet, He's priest, but he's king. And when he is your king, you have to receive him as king. Just like you have to receive him as prophet and priest. And when you receive him as king, that means he's in charge of your life. He is your Lord and your Savior. He is your boss. He makes the decisions you don't. That means that you ask him about what you're going to do before you do it. Should I date them? You didn't ask him. You didn't even ask your pastor. So you definitely didn't ask him. Should I go to college here or should I do something different? Did you ask him? Should should I move away to a certain city? Did you ask him? Should I get this job or that job? Did you ask him? What does your dreams and your plans and your future look like? Is it just about you and you made it up? Or is it God's dream for your life? Or is it God's plan for your life? Or is it God's will for your life? Is He your King? Or He's just your Savior? Because you need to change it next time when you say that Jesus is my Savior and Lord to He's my Savior. Because He's not your Lord. Because Lord means King. Means he's in charge, means he has the say in your life. But you have to let him do that. Thing about God is, even though he is king, you still have a will, you still have an opinion. You still have a life to choose, and if you don't choose to let him do that, he will not twist your arm, and he will not make you do stuff, even though you're heading down the wrong direction. But he does a better job at running your life than you do. He knows your future better than you do. He knows the right people that you need in your life better than you do. He knows the right plan for your life better than you do. He knows the right path for your life better than you do. He knows the right job. He knows the right house. He knows the right car. He knows the right doctor you should go to. He knows the right people in your life. He knows the right will and plan and dream for your life better than you do. And let's admit it, if he's not allowed to do that in our life, we are prideful and arrogant because we think we know better. And I love you, but you don't. You don't. I don't either. I'm trying to preach in this Methodist Assembly of God church today. I'm closing. I know I've been going long. But Jesus is our king. If you really want life change and your life to look different, you need to accept him as king. Not just priest and prophet, but as king, as Lord, as Savior and Lord. I'm not going to read it, but I'm just going to give you the verse in a moment. But Luke 6 46 it says, Jesus said, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? Meaning that don't make no sense, y'all. I could say, why would you call me pastor if you don't let me pastor you? Don't call me pastor if you don't let me pastor you. Common sense. You should pull that on your kids. Why do you call me father, father, and don't do the things I say? I might use it this afternoon. It makes no sense. But life change happens when we accept him as our king. I'm tired of Christians living this way. I'm not perfect. I'm just forgiven. So pretty much means, translation, let me give you a little translation of that. That means my life looks nothing different than it did before I got saved. I'm just going to heaven now. A lot of Christians live that way and wonder why the world hasn't changed yet. And wonder why the coworkers don't care about your Jesus, and wonder why your neighbors don't want to come to your church, and wonder why nothing has happened. Because I'm just, I'm not perfect. I'm I'm just forgiven. Did Jesus go through all of that for that? No, way much more. He came to give you a new life, and a new future, and a new hope. And, and a new everything, and a new nature, and a new spirit, and a new way to live. And your life should look completely different than it did before when you didn't know Him. And not just stop at the altar, but it should be changing. And the Bible said you should be going from glory to glory and from faith to faith. And we should be becoming more and more like Jesus, not just stopping here and saying, I'm forgiven. I don't want that life. And I don't want that life for you guys. But you have to accept Jesus as your king, your Lord. That means listening to what he says in this written word, for starters. But also when he speaks to you, doing what he says. Because if he's king, he's in charge, not you. If he's king, he knows better than me, so I'm going to listen to him. If he knows better than me as king, then I'm going to follow his instructions. I'm not going to complain about it. I'm not going to question him. I'm not going to think that I know better than God. I'm going to say, Jesus, you're king, and you have control of my life. I give you every part of it. I'm under your authority, and you are my king. A lot of Christians won't say that. They won't. Why? Because you still think you know better. You don't. I love you as your pastor. You don't. I don't. You realize every problem you had is between you and the devil, not God. You got yourself in a lot of the mess you're in, not God. And you're still listening to you? Between you and the devil, you are doing good. How about you give God a chance? Since he's always right. And he always is doing things out of his great love and goodness and mercy towards you. So I challenge you to accept him today as your prophet, your priest, and your king. Did you guys get anything today? Thank you so much for listening today. For more information about what's happening at Church on the Rock, visit cotrin.org.